All right, thank you again, Anne, and everybody for lending your talents to this community this morning. Obviously, it's a special service for us, um, not just in the uh, makeup of our service with so much more music than normal, but because it's our first time as a church that we celebrate Christmas together, and it's also our last service of 2021. And Ronaldo, thank you too, again, for washing us with the uh, words from Mary and Luke and for praying over this church this morning. Now, for those of you who are visiting with us today, when we launched uh, in January of this year, we committed to walking through the New Testament book of Acts for an entire year. So this means we've been slowly making our way through the lives of Peter and Paul, joining them on their journeys and joining them in their persecution often, and also in their own transformation. Today's passage is the 26th chapter of Acts, which means we, when we come back to worship together in the new year, we'll only be a few Sundays away from finishing this book. Today, uh, due to the special service we have and uh, my own shortened time of teaching and the length of this passage, I won't be reading the entire chapter, but it is printed in your uh, bulletins, and so I hope you'll take it with you to read through and reflect on. Now, in this chapter, we see Paul speak to King Agrippa. Paul is in chains. He has been incarcerated for years. He is fighting for his freedom, and now he has an audience of the king. And in this opportunity he has with the king, Paul essentially extends an invitation to him. And I would say, effectively, he extends this invitation to anyone listening at that moment and to you and me today as we put ourselves in this story. An invitation to see a promise fulfilled, as we see mentioned in verse 7. A promise that transforms even the worst among us. And I say this because Paul was truly the worst among us in the first century. As he explains in this chapter, he was obsessed with persecuting those who followed Christ. He hunted them down, but then something happened. He explains he encountered this Christ that he himself hated so much. He encountered this Christ that he was throwing people in prison for following. He encountered this Christ and his life was changed. A promise for Paul was fulfilled, and Paul's life was committed then to telling others about this promise, this promise that his ancestors sought, a promise that connected him to generations and generations before him, a promise centered on hope, a hope so strong that when Paul proclaimed this hope, people wanted to see him dead, as he says in verse 8. And so you might say, as you said last week or the week before, well, this isn't much of a Christmas story, but... Friends, I think it truly is because this hope that Paul clung to, whether he was breaking bread with friends or he was sitting incarcerated in chains, this hope was found in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone. Last week in chapter 25, we received a succinct explanation of what that hope was, that this dead man, Jesus Christ, was actually alive. And today in chapter 26, as Paul speaks in verse 17 and 18 and 19, We see what the reality is, if that is true, if Christ is truly alive. We see a forgiveness of sins. We see a sanctification, a growth by faith. We see darkness turn into light. The story of Advent, the story of Christ, and I would say the story of all of us. This invitation, this promise, Paul extended it to the very government that had incarcerated him. You see, in Paul's words, in his defense, in his invitation, he is showing his own journey. He really minces no words. He doesn't pretend like his past didn't exist. He doesn't attempt to explain anything away. 
But by embodying this, by modeling this, his invitation to the king, to the state that has put him in chains, to those around him, it's not simply to embrace this promise of the risen Jesus Christ, but it is to acknowledge your own history for those listening to him, for their role in oppression, for their own hurt, and truly for their own journey. Paul addresses his very own captivity and oppression by being a witness to the kingdom of God, to those who have now held him captive and oppressed him. It's a bizarre counter-idea to our typical idea of freedom. Though Paul is in chains, his hope, his courage, truly creates a unique freedom for himself and for all those listening. I imagine Paul, as he stands in chains, confronting those who want him locked up, or worse, I imagine him channeling the spirit of Mary, the mother of Jesus, from the very words that Ronaldo read to us from Luke chapter 1. That we see rulers brought down from their thrones and the humble lifted up. That we see the hungry filled and the rich lose everything. And those words all point toward in the very last verse of that passage in Luke 1 verse 55, it points to a promise, a promise of Mary's ancestors and of Paul's ancestors and of ours. A promise of freedom. A promise that began to be fulfilled in the incarnation of God and the birth of Jesus Christ. And that will be fulfilled in its beautiful entirety the day Christ returns to this world. Where Christ will break through all the darkness. When Christ will, as we're told near the end of the book of Revelation, when Christ will make all things new. I mentioned Dante Stewart at the beginning, uh, but he's an author and a theologian and a speaker. And he wrote a devotional a couple of years ago for Advent. And in his devotional for today, the first Sunday of the fourth and final week of Advent, he says this. He says, true freedom is when we refuse to succumb to the cruelty of the world. We refuse to ignore the pain and the cries of those who suffer. We refuse to not be moved. We refuse to look away. We refuse to give up hope. That's the invitation that Paul received on the road to Damascus as he explains in this passage. It's the invitation that he extended to so many people in their own journey, in his own journeys throughout Acts. And it's the invitation we all have been given at this very moment. In the season of Advent, in this preparation for Christmas, we are invited to cling to the joy, to the peace, to the love, to the hope that is found in the joy and the peace and the love and the hope of Jesus Christ. And so friends, for this church and for this community, uh, the way we begin to cling to these things, the way we begin to cling to the truth of who Christ is, the way we refuse to succumb to the cruelty of the world around us is by centering ourselves on who Christ was, who he claims to be today, and who he promises to be tomorrow. And we do this each and every week here at Hope Hill's Kitchen through the act of communion. The Lord's Supper is an opportunity for us to recognize the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus Christ. But we don't simply dwell on the past. We also recognize who our God is today, a God who has given us the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is truly what the entire book of Acts is about. This revolutionary, life-changing, world-shaking power of the Holy Spirit. But we also recognize that to accept this invitation... To join in the fulfillment of this promise, we must also be committed to seeing God's kingdom come to Hell's Kitchen, come to this world, as we anticipate the return of Christ to make all things new, to break through the darkness. 
And so this act of communion brings us together as individuals into a community where we commune with one another and we commune with this God. As we prepare for this, we pause and we take one more moment of silence. I invite you to consider something that maybe you've heard this morning. Maybe it's been in a prayer or uh, in these last few words or in the music that we've heard. Maybe it's something else that you feel at this moment. But whatever it might be, I invite you to reflect on those things and to then bring those things into this time of communion. So do this now in silence and we'll come back in just a moment for communion.